That's all you get. No, play us in, Proby. My uh, my guitar skills are not what I'm famous for. Mm. Well, Pork okay. is what I'm famous for. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode six of Apostella Podcast. We're in here with Jonathan Proby today. Yo. Proby is the director of the uh, Initiative Production Company. Sorry, I was fixing something on my mic there. He's the director of the Initiative Production Company um, and has been here with Wild and Brisbane for a long time. 13 I don't know years. 13? Thir- yeah. Cool. So he's, uh, he's in charge of the production company as well as the School of Digital Filmmaking uh, along with Greg Graflo, who who we interviewed on the first episode of the podcast. Um, but, yeah, how's it going, Proby? Doing good. Hopefully this won't be a bookend on your podcast, that this is the last one as well. Well, it, <laughs> it kind of seems that way. Hey, don't put them on very often. <laughs> uh, anyone could be the last one, to be honest. Maybe everyone's the last one, and it's just all a new thing. Ooh. I don't know about that, but... I don't know if that's actually deep or... <laughs> it sounds very deep. It's Elon Musking on. <laughs> well, uh, well, today I, I actually wanted to bring in Proby because something that we've been talking about uh, a lot in the past few months is just, I guess, the broad topic of art and how that fits into the church and, and our faith as Christians. Um, and... Actually, I, so I so I invited him to come in and talk about this, um, and something that he suggested to me was to read this book called Art and the Bible by Francis, Francis A. Schaefer. Um, and so I've read this, and we're going to discuss some cover of the to cover. themes in here. It took me, it's actually a really short book. It's only about 100 pages. It's it actually two like, short essays, yeah. Yeah, it only took me like a day and a half to read it, which is really awesome because it's pretty... There's a lot in there, but to be able to go book, through yeah. it so fast is awesome. So. Yeah, it's, it's. I really like it because it's not very, it's not super dense, as in like hard to digest. Yeah. But there's a lot packed in there, and there's a lot of of wisdom to glean from it. Yeah. yeah. Um, How'd you come up, across this? I, so I was working on doing some teaching on the school, developing it for, like art as worship, and how how are we as Christians meant to use art as a worship form and Mm. what are we doing with that and so i think i literally like i don't know let's see as part of my research i started out i think i just typed art in the bible and And that came up yeah of course it came up yeah (laughs) oh cool because i was i was looking for examples of art and how in the Bible, we, there's a lot of different things of art from the tabernacle to, you know, Solomon's temple to there's a lot of these different elements of worship yeah. that God himself is like saying, hey, I want you to do it and do it in this manner. So I was looking for some examples of that, came across this book, saw some descriptions and I bought it and it's amazing. Yeah. That's one of the things that I, I was actually, well that I really liked about it, but at the same time was like probably the most challenging part of it is that it is really um, grounded in like the Bible and, and what it actually has to say about art. And as much as it is like a freeing message of like, 
you know, art is something that we all can get into, all can appreciate, and we shouldn't put restrictions on it in the ways that we do. It's also kind of a, like a pruning message as well of like, yeah, <laughs> of like, we still need to have a, a Christian perspective in our art and yeah, as Christians well, at least. I found after I read it, I didn't come, I was kind of expecting to like come away with this, like, oh yeah, this art and everything and this expansive, but it actually kind mm-hmm. of narrowed in that view mm-hmm. because I wasn't, you know, like, I wasn't didn't really narrow in the view. It just, it raised the responsibility mm-hmm. because as Christian artists, there is, a much higher level now on it. Like if we are truly trying to do art as an act of worship, yeah, you know, we need to be doing art that is depicting the truth of the world and the truth of God, you know, as he is. Yeah. And if we're not, we're really just wasting our time. And what are we even bothering with? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So let's get into some of the, the like content of the book. Proby's got his notes here in a binder. I have just in case I had to reference anything because I didn't necessarily remember it off the top of my head. I have my supposed to hide the fact that I've got notes, so then I look way cooler than I am. You do look pretty cool sitting sitting across from me here. Anyone looks cool looking across from you. Oh man, I meant that in a good way, not a bad way. But (laughs) you just roasted me, dude. (laughs) Okay, so I wanted to start with actually how the book kind of starts and and finishes actually i i thought the way that it bookend the idea of lordship mm-hmm. like so yes cool but the pretty much it, it starts with um talking about the idea that lordship is wh- where we can tend to put it into like relegate it into certain areas of our lives whether that's our spirituality and our our work and there's certain areas of our lives where we tend to think of like lordship as being important mm-hmm. but it actually makes a statement um that that your whole life and pretty much all, this kind of sounds like maybe a little bit pretentious but like all of existence and everything that exists and is and has its being is under the lordship of of God, I, I wouldn't say it's pretentious at all because I mean, if if we truly believe that God is the creator of everything, yeah, and if God, as Francis Schaeffer says, you know, if God redeemed the entirety of man, so if God created everything, that's all under already under His lordship. Mm-hmm. The entirety of universe is within His scope; is all God's, right? Yeah. And if and if God redeemed our, the entirety of our being, then the entirety of all of us entirety of our ex you know like everything that we you know that comes out of us and everything that we create and everything that we do should also be under the lordship of god yeah yeah but then he 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 does make the point that we like tend to leave out even art was a big one that was kind of his yes his uh pretty much his thesis of the book um but then even like the sciences and and uh, some other disciplines and stuff. Science is a really interesting one that mm-hmm. it was like, cause he talks about it. Like the things that we learn through observing nature and the universe and stuff, like we'll all come back to, um, come back to a biblical worldview of what God actually says yeah. in the Bible, which I, which I agree with. And I think is really amazing, but 
We shouldn't be afraid of truth. If we, if we, yeah, if we start being afraid of asking questions and afraid of searching something out, that means that we are we are afraid that God isn't powerful enough mm. or that God isn't true. Yeah, and I think every Christian, and I think every Christian does, and I think if you if you haven't, you should question everything about what you believe. Mm-hmm. You know, and not saying that oh, what I believe is wrong, so I'm not going to believe this and find something new, but question it. Because is what you believe really biblical? Yeah. You know, the BCC, the biblical core course that we offer here, uh, or Bible core course that we offer here is is amazing for that, to really get an idea of who you are. Yeah. What does God say? What is the truth and the reality of the world around us? And what can I do about it? Yeah. That's when people that come off the BCC, like my friend Nathan just came off of it, um, and one of the things you hear a lot is like, wow, I, I believed this particular thing. And then actually after reading through the entire Bible, studying it, it's actually really clear that that it's actually this or that or whatever. So I, I, I think that that pursuit of, of truth is something that we should always be engaging in as a Christian. It's like, oh, I don't know what where this verse comes from, but it, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter it's the glory of kings to seek it out um or as this book puts it yeah uh he says in the ancient days men were men thought that if you were to travel to the ends of the earth that you would fall off the edge and be eaten by dragons Mm -hmm. and then he goes on to say with the redeemed mindset of like and and the truth of the gospel we actually have freedom and and like a safety to travel to the ends of the earth and not be afraid to fall because we yeah. have, because if we're doing it under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and through biblical truth and stuff. So, yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. I really, I've, I love his writing too. And you got it. <clears throat> if you come at it from Francis Schaefer was writing from this was, I think he wrote this in the eighties uh, 70s or 80s. And so he's, if you're not familiar with who he is, he is a Christian apologetics author, very prolific, written a lot of stuff, really defined what does Christian life look like. So we owe a lot of the way of our normal expression of worship to Francis Schaeffer because he's part of this book is arguing it's along the ideas of same of it's okay to have guitars or drums in church. Yeah. Because he was writing to a people in a time frame that was wrestling with that idea. Is it okay to go to a movie? Is he American? I believe so. Yeah, okay. That would make sense. Yeah. That was a big issue in like in the 60s, 70s. Yeah, of this, what can, how do we express? Like yeah. the, the way we've always done it is that the way that we always have to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think he's coming against that and saying like, no, like our life as Christians should not be less fulfilling as a Christian, yeah. we should have more fulfilling lives. Yeah. Because now all of these beautiful trappings and all of these things that we have, we can do now to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. So we have the anointing. So as we play a guitar in church or play drums, you know, like move by that, that lead riff. Yeah. You know? It's actually interesting. This is jumping to the end of the book. And it's just the freshest in my mind because I, <laughs> I literally just finished it like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> 
so I haven't I haven't had a whole lot of time. There is to process a quiz coming this, so. later, so yeah. But um, you know, it's funny if if he was writing in a time when you know the idea of having certain musical styles in church, let's say, was you know definitely uh, looked down upon in some churches and some mm-hmm. places. Um, and I'm guessing that that's probably because of like the rock and roll hippie yeah. movement, right? was very like these things, but that was the thing is they were considered counter to God. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of, oh, this is so far removed from God. How can this expression ever be used to, you know, represent Christ? And there is, and it's a point that he does bring up as yeah, well. Yeah, this is what I was trying to get to, but you can br- you can talk about it. Okay, you can bring it up if you want. Well, it's just like, it's like he's talking about the the form of which we choose to to pass on our message. Yeah. And if you're a Christian, you're whatever type of art, whether it's you're using religious iconography or it's you know a, a, what you would think of as a secular art style or whatever. Your goal would be to um, to convey a Christian worldview through through mm-hmm. your art, right? And part of that is there's he talks a lot about the different s- skill levels that you can have and the different messaging that you can put in there. One of the things he talks about is the the art form itself and how you have to it you have to be smart about the art form that you do choose. And he uses as an example, um, like Hindu Sanskrit, mm-hmm. which was an art form developed to, for this express purpose of conveying a Hindu worldview. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, it, you know, th- some people think that you, in order, you couldn't even use that art form to con- convey a, um, I guess it's a it's kind of a language yeah it's and a, it's a art writing form. format yeah but you couldn't even use that to convey the concepts of Christianity because it was developed for a totally and opposite purpose yeah that's one of the one of the points that he argues in here is that there are certain art forms that are are so indicative of a certain worldview mm-hmm. that is contrary to Christ yeah. that we that they just cannot be used. And I'd go for a little bit further with what he said, though, is because there's also that changes. Yeah. You know, and yeah, yeah. what... So a great example of, like, using guitars in church. Um, if you were to... If you were back in the 70s you know, and listening to Steppenwolf and some of these, some of their very druggy songs that, you know, you'd use to, you know, enjoy being high with or whatever. Like those are these, this music was linked with drug culture. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why the church was struggling to bring in some of these instruments because these are used to like show drug culture. Yeah. And, but nowadays, we have the same sort of instruments playing very similar riffs and almost very similar of that soothing, mellow, like, trance style that we use, but we use it for worship. Because <coughs> meditation is not far from working with God and being mm-hmm. in that close place of presence, of practicing the presence of God. Yeah. So I think over time it does change. 
So there are, especially like in art, there are forms that were used, um, especially a lot of art from the 30s and um, uh, Salvador Dali, some of these very abstract art and abstract impressionism that's, it is quite visceral and it's quite, like it was used to convey things like and worldviews that aren't like, they're contrary to Christianity. Mm -hmm. But they have over time separated from that. Yeah. And it has been interesting because we have some generations that are, you know, we've, we as a generation tend to separate historical meaning from present meaning because we we're a meme generation. We understand that there is an evolving, changing thing. So what means one thing to one person can mean something to others. Mm -hmm. And we need to be cautious about that too, because with what we use, we don't really want to be, you know, conveying the wrong message to someone. Yeah. But it's actually funny. I think of like a, an example of that, that's like modern and even kind of fits like would be understood by a lot of Christians is like Hillsong young and free. Yeah. Right. So they're, they kind of take, have like a more electronic dance vibe to them. Right. Yeah. Which in secular culture, that's like the type of music people go to big music festivals, raves, mm -hmm. do drugs, get high and dance and party, you know? Yeah. And then Hillsong Young and Free has taken that and used it, like you said, to to actually worship God with, which I think is like an actually an amazing way to like redeem something that yeah. is, you know, not that great of a... <laughs> and it works well because I think the current generation understands that disconnect between usage and worldview. It's yeah. not, we don't tie up that music with this worldview. Mm -hmm. They're different things. Well, that being. I mean, if you started to bring in ecstasy and other drug use. Yeah, don't in, do that. <laughs> into uh, your worship service, um, then there's some other issues that you need to probably be seeking God about <laughs> and getting some help with. Yeah. Well, but at the same time. I've I've seen like Hillsong Young Free or even like more dancey like Christian music or, like worship music that it's been used to just kind of set like a party vibe for a youth group yeah or something which like is fine I guess but it's not the in if the intention is worship I don't know that's it's and well that's the thing mm -hmm. is I mean is we we We've categorized this thing of this is worship. And I think that we have come yeah. to such a narrow definition out of fear because we were so afraid of, okay, let's expand in some new ways. Oh, we can bring guitars in. We can bring drums in. There's this idea that we are afraid of changing it because we might lose something. Yeah. But that fear comes from a lack of knowledge. If you're afraid of losing something in worship, it means that you don't know about worship. Sure. You know, if I'm, you know, grabbing my wallet and keys and cell phone before I go out, I'm not going to lose one of them because I know that they're all there. So when I gather them all up to move to somewhere else, I know that I'm bringing my cell phone and my keys and my wallet because I understand them. Mm -hmm. I understand that they're all there. If I don't have my cell phone and I walk away, I'm going to pretty immediately feel, wait, this is... You know, I'm missing something here. Something's wrong. Yeah. And I think that we are the same with worship, that worship is a much broader thing than we have made it to be. Mm -hmm. You know, like the idea of that it is just 
singing a specific song or a specific type of song that is declarative of Jesus's power, which is awesome. That's great. And that's worship. And I think, you know, that's where we should base our corporate worship around because, you know, as worship leaders, we need to bring people along in our worship. Yeah. But or the idea that worship has to do anything with any sort of creative act. Um, on my DTS, I know we're talking about creativity right now and, and art, but on my DTS, I think one of the things that was was going through my mind a lot was the idea of of do everything that you do, whether it's your work or your your leisure times or whatever, as if it was worship unto God. Do and, whatever your hands find to do, do it yeah. with all your might, as if doing it unto God yeah. and not for men. And I was on I was on dinner cleanup for my work duty during my DTS. So for you know four months, probably three four days a week, I was cleaning up the kitchen at night, mm-hmm. and I hated it a lot. <laughs> it sucked. <laughs> it was hot, smelly in there, and that I often came through my mind like, are you doing? Are you going to do this to worship the Lord? And I actually found that my times like working in the kitchen with that perspective of like, oh, I'm doing, I'm going to do this to please God. We're actually feel like more valuable to me than even like my personal times yeah. where I was sitting down and actively like worshiping him through song or writing or whatever. Exactly. You I know. mean, that's a expression of worship. Yeah. And it's, there's no singing, there's no doing it. I mean, if if heaven, I've often, and I've, this is something I've been wrestling with, so I'm not sure yet where I'm, if this is accurate because I know that there's some there's some Bible verses that may be against this, but this idea of if all we're meant to do is just like if heaven, because heaven's a mirror of earth, right? Mm-hmm. You know, now we see as though through a mirror dimly. So if we've got this dim view, what we're doing here is also going to be what we're doing in heaven. But if heaven is just going to be, you know, sitting on clouds, singing, playing harps, are we really, I mean, what am I do, why aren't we doing that now then? I should go out and start getting voice lessons because, you know, I you need should. to learn to sing. Yeah, well, if I'm <laughs> going to get voice lessons before I get to heaven because if that's all we're doing, then why aren't we doing that? Why isn't the entirety of our being you know, why are we trying to do other creative endeavors? Why are we trying to do anything else at all mm-hmm. except learn to sing and play music better if that's all we're doing? And mm-hmm. I I firmly believe that our expression of worship in heaven is going to be so much more multifaceted than that because yeah. God is so much more multifaceted than that. Yeah. And, and I think that loops back around to the original idea of lordship. Yeah. When your entire life and everything that you do is under the Lordship of Christ, which, you know, we won't be able to achieve in our mortal life here on earth. But obviously in heaven, that, that will be the reality. If your entire life is, is under the Lordship of Christ, then everything you do is worship. Mm -hmm. Everything that you do is in obedience to him. And, and I think that that does allow for like a reality that, is a lot more complex than just what you say sitting on clouds singing. <laughs> well, I mean, 
Romans Romans twelve one. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of spiritual service of worship. Mm. Like that's what we are doing. We are supposed to. It's the idea of praying without ceasing. We are to present who we are, our bodies, as worship to God. So mm-hmm. whatever we are doing, that's that. Whatever your hands find to do, that then becomes an act of worship. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how do we use That's great and I might have brought that up, but like you know, we talk about just the general everything that we can do in our lives, whatever. How can we use art and how do we see art being used in the Bible as a way of worshiping God and giving honor to him? Um and then where you know, where how do we take from that and make our own uh, conclusions on how we are to make art and how we are to be creative with the gifts that God's given us. It's a big question. I'll give you an introduction as the first of 12, a series of 12 podcasts. <laughs> as we'll we, be back next we... week with another three-hour podcast. <laughs> um, but that's one of the things that so we look at. If we want to, when we talk about like worship and stuff like that, like, mm. You know, the first commissioned artwork that we have record of from at least in the Bible is the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. You know, God is up on the mountain with Moses and giving him explicit directions and instructions on everything. Every little detail. On it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot. Actually, we'll go into this more, too, because there are some vagaries in there. That was left open, but there is a lot of specifics, mm-hmm. you know, down to, you know, the, this is the one that mo- the most gets me is the pomegranates. pomegranates. <laughs> yeah. You knew I was going to go. Yeah. Here, right? Well, you were telling me about it earlier. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> it's, it's fascinating to me that. So in the Bible, it talks about you, pa- the pomegranates having Threads of well, what pomegranate? Where what? Okay, so the 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 part of the priest's robe was a tunic of like a blue tunic mm-hmm. um, that went over like the other la- like. There's so many layers to the priestly garments and things like that. He's just like walking around like all stuff. He's like, yeah, <laughs> you know. And it's there is a lot of symbolism in it, and I don't think, but I don't think there is symbolism in all of it. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that we go too far in saying this is all symbolic. Sure, you can pull some symbology out of it, but just like you know, parables. Parables were meant to tell a certain point. You can't just keep going levels down, you know, because then you get God as an unjust ju- judge. Because well, if God's the the judge that's not giving the widow justice, you know. Yeah. Um, wasn't there wasn't there a bit where we're talking about the pillars? Yeah, I'll, and, get, I'll get to that yeah, one. Okay. I'm going to go to the pomegranates yeah. first. Because the pomegranates are awesome, and now that I've built them up so much... Yeah, okay, let's hear audience, about the pomegranates. Your audience is, like, desperate to hear about the pomegranates. They're, like, on the edge of it. So, anyway, the pillars. <laughs> um, so, the pomegranates that were just on the tassels, and they were they were in between... I can't remember if it was golden or silver bells that were on it. So, like, when the priest walked, he, made, he was musical. Um... But these, they were just these little, they called them pomegranates, but basically just bundles of thread of blue, scarlet, and purple. 
Mm-hmm. Now, if you've ever seen pomegranates, in their natural, like, purple is a very normal color for them. There are different times you can call that, a, like, a scarlet. Um, I would call it pomegranate, not scarlet. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it, there could be a translation thing in there. But blue. Blue is never in the pomegranate. Like, you do not see blue in pomegranates. In any of its life cycle. Yeah. that That's not a natural color yeah. for pomegranates. Now... Did God suddenly decide, you know what? I regret making pomegranates not blue. Should have done it. Thought about it, but I was like, nah. Purple, purple is good. You know, I'm gonna rectify greens, that on the that's fine. robe of my priest. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> fix that. I'm gonna make them blue now. Add some blue to it. You know, and it's like, well, no, he wasn't. Of course, he he made them the way he wanted to. It's not like he regretted the way he wanted to, but. The bl- adding the blue thread really ties it into the rest of the blue robe really well. It's, it's an basic a- color it, theory. <laughs> it, yeah, it's an aesthetic choice <laughs> yeah. that he uses to put a bit of pop there to tie all the whole the whole together. Yeah, like and it's it's purely you know this concept of God likes pretty things. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever seen a sunset, you'll agree with me. You know, go up into the mountains, you know, go go down to the beach, you know, look out over the water, look out over nature, and you will realize God really does like pretty things. Mm-hmm. And that's why it gets me about the pomegranates, because it is just, it's not like a direct depiction of the real world. It's abstract. Yeah. So, Impressionism, or abstract art, is actually invented by God. Yeah. And so that means it is a holy thing. So mm-hmm. we can use abstract art for God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like its worldview is too far apart because it's a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, you know, we're talking about with the pillars. If um, when you read about it, there are these two pillars that just sat on either side of the entryway to the Holy of Holies. And they weren't supporting the roof. Mm-hmm. They're just there. And they have like almond blossoms on them, and yeah. some people are like, oh, the almond blossom because Aaron's staff budded in almond blossoms, and you know maybe he was maybe God was going through an almond phase at the time. I don't know, but you know he likes them. He clearly likes them. You know, and that's that's why I think he did it. You know, it's not just because oh look, the staff was almond, so I'm going to do this as almond blossoms. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, look at these things. They're cool. <laughs> They're pretty. Look at these this little is ornate, I made. and it's these really ornate pillars that did nothing but just stand there and frame the Holy of Holies. Yeah, They're not functional. They're just there because God likes pretty things. I actually think in 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 the Bible when it's describing it, it says that they were there for beauty. Yeah. You know, and that's because, you know, God wanted it to look good. Mm-hmm. Great. That's awesome. And it's interesting, too, because you have other points, and especially when we start looking at Solomon's temple... There, there was something really cool that stood out to me when I was reading about that. Okay, well, let's see if I hit on it, and if not, you can slap me or okay. something. Um, but you look at it with Solomon's temple, you also have this, there are certain people that are called to do it. So he's like, oh yeah, go go get this guy. I, I've told him everything, and I've inspired him. Yeah. You know, so he's doing all these ornate things that are no one's going to see because when you look at the description of the temple inside it's not very bright mm-hmm. you know it's the lampstand so it's very dim but it's very tall which would mean up towards the roof 
maybe you get some glitter, some like ma- the gold on there makes sense because you get some, you know, a bit of glitter off of it. Yeah. But it's going to be dark. No one's really going to see it. Yeah. Except God. And he likes it. Yeah. Because he likes pretty things. Yeah. That's funny. The, the, the amount of, even in like, like cathedrals and European cathedrals and stuff. I've been to um, St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Yeah. And the detail that they, they put on those, on the ceilings and the frescoes on the, it's amazing. But there's parts of that, that cathedral in particular that are just like a couple hundred feet up in the air. Yeah. And you're like, what? <laughs> you're like looking up squinting. You're like, what is that? Is that a naked baby? What? <laughs> Well, also gets us into like where we have drifted as artists Mm. is because um, we get this idea that art is for our eternity. Mm -hmm. I will gain immortality because I will make some great art and that art will last for a long time. And everybody's going to see, oh, this is one of the grand masters. Yeah. Well, that's definitely a secular yeah, world definitely yeah. a secular worldview. But I think a lot of times we are still, as Christians, we are we are guilty of the same thing. Sure. And that's where you get these ideas of those frescoes up there where, you know, like, yeah, Michelangelo did the Sixteen Chapel. Six, sixteen, the Sixteenth? Sixteenth. Sixteen <laughs> Chapel. God, Sixteenth Chapel. Oh, let's edit he that failed, one. He failed uh, 1 through failed 15. Failed that one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kept painting it, didn't like it, tore it down. Um... But, you know, like, these are tiny, tiny things. Yeah. And no one's really going to see them. But he is doing them as an act of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing, too, when you look at Solomon's temple. Like, when you look at some of the pillars that they're made of, this, like, beautiful, beautiful wood that is, like, the most valuable, the most rare, the most expensive wood. Mm-hmm. And... I've done some construction and I love working with wood. If you have bare wood, you don't cover it with nothing. You know, you let the beauty, you know, you, you put some varnish on it. You know, yeah. you put some stain on it. Yeah. You know, painting of it is like, ah, oh, unless it's just a pure wall. But they covered it all in gold. Well, what's the point? Why, if you have this beautiful wood, do you just cover it outside with just, you know, something there? But it's also, I mean, there is some symbolism there where the, the depth of it is supposed to be all beautiful and yeah. all layers, not just a surface thing that we yeah. gild. But I don't know what's going with that. Yeah, I don't. Know. The one thing that that <laughs> really, I, well, I think we're still on the yeah, idea one thing of that stood out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I th- I think we're still on the idea of like. I'm gonna make you do a lot of editing. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna have to edit this one at all. Actually, <laughs> oh great, really good. We're just gonna hear make probably around like on crazy, for, yeah. Uh, yeah, just the idea of, of, um, you know, there doesn't, in order for it to be quote unquote worship to the Lord, like art doesn't necessarily have to have a purpose or a, other than just being art and being beautiful. Um, and one of the things that stood out to me of Solomon's temple is the, the pool of water that is in the middle held up by it's like a big the bronze laver yeah it's like a big pot of water pretty much like massive like 15 feet across something like that that's the one that they use for washing right yeah yeah 
And it's... I always wondered how they got up to it because uh, it's so tall. I guess there was stairs or something. Yeah. I went and like Googled... It's not very convenient, no. by the way. It's no. not convenient at all. Ever, since I was a child, the first learning about this, I'm like, this is inconvenient. Well, yeah. God's not always <laughs> the most convenient, <laughs> is he? <laughs> but... Um, not my will, but thine be your <laughs> But no, I had this. They had this giant pot or pool of water in the in the temple, and it's raised off the ground. And the way that it's raised off the ground is on the backs of twelve golden oxen. Yeah, and I think three were facing each each direction: direction yeah. north, west, east, south. And I, I, for some reason, I just that really struck me because it's like this massive kind of impractical inconvenient thing um held up by you know something that doesn't really like you could just put pillars underneath it or some sort of structural thing to hold it up you don't have to have it on the back of 12 oxen Mm -hmm. and i i don't know if there's any sort of symbology here but the fact that they chose an animal that had previously been worshipped, uh, almost a golden calf, right, that had been worshipped by the Israelites way back in the day, they chose to use the same symbology yeah. there. And I don't know what the symbolism of the oxen is or whatever, but it it seems like such a... I mean, it almost seems like a topic they'd want to avoid, <laughs> you know, like, well, I think that but was it's the whole, in the temple. The whole point of it is because this is where they're washing the blood of the sacrifice off. And it's on the backs of these golden, ca- you know, these golden mm. <laughs> cows that are basically like, hey, you're this is you, you sinned in this way. Now, you know, that's what's lifting it up. It also is interesting, too, and I never thought about like because they're to north, fa- east, south and west. If they're directly towards it. For it to be aesthetic, you would have to have the entire temple to be on a north, south, or east, west line. Yeah. Which isn't mentioned earlier. Or else they'd just be like... You know, so they could have like, oh, I'm going to put this as north, south, and then if that wasn't communicated to your you know, your foundation builders, it's going to look really funky. Yeah. But... <laughs> it's kind of off topic for me. <laughs> anyway, Google, if you guys at home, Google a picture of the Solomon's... What is it? The brazen, brazen lever. Brazen I believe lever is what yeah. it's called. It's it's pretty incredible. They have um, there's some paintings of what it might look like, but there's also some photographs of people. It was that described have, as being a hand breadth thick, which is about ten centimeters. So that's like how thick like the wall was. Pure bronze. Yeah. Yeah. Massive. It's crazy. But people have remade it. Yeah. Uh, and it was just used for washing hands. <laughs> Get down it. <laughs> this massive pool. I want to. I mean, be full of it. it. I know. Me too. But I mean, <laughs> it, the water probably is not the cleanest. Yeah, it's probably got a bunch of goats' blood. And yeah, sheep's okay. blood. Mm. Goats were just for the uh, for the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> so yeah. So, uh, but you also <laughs> asked, how do we do worship? Like, what should what what should we be doing? Art. How do we make art as worship? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I, ever, if I ever mentioned that. We talked about like art and where we've gone from it, and I think I, I diverted too much. Well, I think that was part of the. Okay. It was such a long right. question. I don't even remember what I asked. To be honest okay, with you. Okay. Well, maybe maybe your <laughs> listeners wouldn't have remembered if I didn't say anything. So. <laughs> I can edit that out. 
The whole thing? <laughs> yeah, just that whole segment. That last 15 minutes. All right, minutes. now bringing you a five-minute podcast. <laughs> free from ramblings. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I think that this can kind of go in that direction. One of my... Okay, no, it can't go in that direction. Worship, art as worship. Does it have to be... Do you think that art has to be... Obviously, like, when, when I think of worship, I think of mainly going to a worship set, mm-hmm. listening to a band play. They're playing Hillsong. They're playing Bethel. They're playing, you know, whoever, John Mark McMillan. And that's worship to me, you know. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I know that there's other forms of it and stuff, but to me, when you use that word, that's immediately where my mind goes to. So, like we talked about earlier with work, with, with applying yourself to your work, do you think that our art has to carry a religious subtext in order to be worshipped? Um, no. I think it does already. So I think it's a yes and no question. I think that we do not have to put any religious subtext into it Mm -hmm. because it's there. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I take a photo of a sunset, is it art? Mm. Yeah, it's art. It's a photograph. Is it it worship? Maybe. I mean, I'm... Do I have to put a verse across it, you know, to make it worship? I, and I'm. I would say yes. I would say no, <laughs> and I would say you're wrong. <laughs> and you need to read the book again. No, um, but it is, and I'm like, it's, and I don't, and I don't, don't get me wrong. There is a place for that. I, I actually think in here he says, if God wanted, yeah, if God like needed a a verse across would, the photo, he would have put he it in the sky. Made the sky with a verse across. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so you know, if you're taking this photo. God made that sunset. Yeah. Right? So that what God has created is something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's something, it is an expression of who he is. Because God's full of love, right? God loves us. Mm-hmm. And everything he made is to, you know, express his love for us. Yeah. You know? So if we're standing there, that sunset is him saying, I love you. Yeah. Now, if we're taking a photo of it, because that is such an amazing photo of it, we are appreciating God's creation. Mm-hmm. And we are, by extension, appreciating God's love in our lives. <laughs> now, does it matter whether you know that God created that or not? I don't think so. Because God still created it out of love. Does I think it helps in being a conscious oh, it ha- act I mean, of worship, obviously. So... The same photo, though, I think, of taking my two different people that looks, it can look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say one, I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessarily is worship, you know, one or the other. I would say one is, you know, they both could be used as worship mm-hmm. because they are both taking a photo of the same creator's love. Yeah. Now, does it matter to whether the photographer knows that God loves him, does God love him? Yes. So it doesn't matter whether he knows it or not. Yeah. Because it's still there. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, so God's love and God's creating that sunset for him to see and take a photo of, it doesn't change God's love one bit, whether the person is aware of it or not. Mm-hmm. Now, do I think that's a direct act of worship? I don't think so. Because I think you need to have that connection because he is he is appreciating it. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a sense of worship in there. Yeah. But I don't think because it is not necessarily directed towards God. Yeah. Now, as me taking a, as a photographer taking that photo, I can do that and address it towards God. Yeah. And I also don't want to make fun of the things with verses on it because I think there's a power to that. Yeah. And I, I know that there is some very, very cheesy Christian art that I've had as my desktop background. Yeah. We, you know, with some verses plastered, you know, that has gotten me through some difficult times. You know, God yeah. can use it. Sometimes I really love the feature on the version Bible app where you can you can actually, like, highlight a verse and press a button and it makes it, it on, into a, like, a pretty picture in the background. Yeah. And sometimes that's, that's actually something – it's a tool that I can, can use to help me reflect on a certain yeah. thing. And for some reason – and I think that this might just go back to the fact that we are drawn to beautiful things because that's the way God created us to be. And God's love is, is full of it. Yeah. It's like those, those beautiful things are full of God's love yeah. and we are drawn to that. So it's natural that yeah. as you're looking at this photo of the ver of, you know, I lift my eyes into the mountains, you know, from whence my help comes from. Like, and pictures of mountains that you're going to feel that connection yeah. more because... God made those mountains. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think I don't want to look down upon that because that is an art. It is mm-hmm. art form. I think, though, what the danger becomes is it becomes less accessible. Mm-hmm. And which is one of my big problems with a lot of modern art that, I mean, that isn't accessible. Yeah. You know, because they're not in there's... It's a black square on a wall titled in untitled number 35. And it's like, well, how can I understand what you're saying from this? Like art is supposed to ask a question. Art is supposed to get you thinking. Yeah. You know, and if it's so ambiguous and so abstract, you just look at it and be like, okay. Yeah. And then walk away from it, you know? So if we, if we really want to be relevant as Christian artists, and I think that's the question that we want to ask ourselves is, you know, because it's great that we can celebrate worship yeah. as God. And we can, we can take our, what God has created in us to do is if God has given us a talent for painting and we make a painting, you know, and that becomes an expression of our love for God, you know, mm-hmm. if, if God has given someone a talent for building and they build a house, that can be done as an expression of worship for God. So anything can be worship, mm-hmm. you know, but that's not enough for us, right? Because we want other people to know that that other photographer that's standing there taking a look at the the sunset and missing out on the fact that God made that for him because God loves him. Yeah. You know, that's where we're missing out on our art is that we're not making something that is accessible for for other pe- for non-Christian people to be able to listen to or to see and to digest and to come to an understanding that this is who God is. Yeah. You know, and so we end up 
doing these sugar-coated, stripped-back, you know, versions of things that are no longer truth. Yeah. And if we're not doing truth, that's not what God created. That's not, you know, showing who God is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's actually one thing that I really want to talk about. Yeah. And I'll kind of set it up here. But so the first, this, this book that we're talking about here is actually uh, a series of two essays, like Proby mentioned earlier. Um, the first is like really looking into examples of art in the Bible um, and what it was used for, what it was used to represent and all this. And then the second part of it is actually like talking directly to us today and giving some wisdom on how we can actually like identify and um, appreciate art today even when it's not necessarily Christian art. Um, and he kind of gives these four metrics for it, which I'm quickly, I'll just look that up because um, there's only one that I want, really want to talk about. Wow. This is a crazy book. Um, where is this? Uh, maybe I probably won't we'll find it. Okay, here we go. The four standards of judgment for art. Ah, yes. So he talks about. I'm just gonna move over here to this point in my notes so that <laughs> I can. So um, the I call it art appreciation as a Christian, and I kind of rearranged them a little bit. So yeah. So it, yeah, it's pretty much he's he's like kind of saying, okay, when you go out and see a piece of art or listen to a piece of music or something and you want to, you know, go through a process of actually appreciating it and and analyzing it, he kind of gives these guidelines. So the first is technical excellence, validity. Um, the second one is validity. Third is intellectual content, um, which is the worldview that comes through. And the fourth is the integration of content and vehicle. Okay, so now there's a part where I think it's I think it's when it's talking about integration and content of vehicle. Mm -hmm. So it's he, there he's talking about how does your you know if if your goal is to convey a Christian worldview through your art, how do you do that through the art form that you've chosen, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's talking about the concept of it um actually i think i'm wrong on that which is your part of it um where i think he's actually i think i switched up the i think it's the intellectual content and the worldview that comes through mm -hmm. okay sorry how do you how are you actually like conveying your world your worldview and intellectual content and everything, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things he brings up is that there's kind of a, there's like, he would separate a Christian worldview into like a minor, minor themes and major themes, right? Mm -hmm. And the minor, the major themes being that there's a redemptive process that, that we've gone through as Christians where we've yeah. accepted the sacrifice. Well, First of all, Christ sacrificed his life to redeem us from a sinful nature, right? 
And then there's the process that we go through of accepting that and, and, you know, becoming people who, who live under the guidance of the word and under the Holy Spirit. Right? So that's kind of the major themes of, of a Christian worldview. And there's obviously a whole lot of things that go along with that. Now, the minor themes he talks about are um, the struggle of the fallen world, world first mm-hmm. of all, and the fact that even within Christian living, that there is, there continues to be a struggle, even though you like, and a, he, he says, I think that it's a, there's some sort of defeat that you're still wrestling with as a Christian, even though you've accepted yeah. Christ. And even though the victory of Christ is yours, it's still in conflict with this fallen nature. And first of all, dude, that I think that that level of honesty coming from, I don't think I've ever heard that sort of honesty from any Christian speaker, from any mm-hmm. sort of book I've ever read. And, uh, you know, how deep that victory of Christ runs in your practical day to day life, you know, you could argue that it's all up for grabs or mm-hmm. whatever. But the idea that even as a Christian, there's this, this struggle of of the sinful nature. And yeah, I of lo- course. I love that that was brought up because I think that that's something, that, I don't know, when you just talk about, and this is his point in, in bringing this up, is like if your art is just focused on the major themes and, and the re- redemption of Christ and and all the good hopeful things that come out of that then you're painting a picture pun intended (laughs) of (laughs) you're painting a picture of like of almost a fantasy it's not the full picture of the reality of the world that we live in and that's it's i have a problem with a lot of art that does that yeah and a lot of books and stories and there's this uh, series of books i read when i was a kid um, and like without fail, whatever they got to the hardest part, there's like, okay, let's say our verse, you know, and it's like, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no you or something, you know. Um, it was either that or Psalm 1. Um, why is that Psalm 1? <laughs> no, but, it's Psalm 23. Yeah, Psalm 23, yeah. And there's also, um, and. It was like, and then all of a sudden, the all solution the presented. Yeah, the, the solution presented yeah. itself, and it didn't quite go so far as where they're, you know, completely taken out. And actually, this is a term that is used very frequently in storytelling amongst, you know, um, the entire world. And it's called Deus ex machina. Mm-hmm. And it's God from the machine, and it's basically what happens in a story when it was very common in Greek in uh, Greek tales where your hero would get into this impossible situation that there was no way out of, and then the gods would come in and rescue them. Mm-hmm. So it's not by a personal struggle. It's not by your own striving and your own growing and your own becoming a better person that you were solved and you were rescued. It's because the gods came in and solved it for you. Right. Which I, I believe that as Christians we are called to, you know, as it says, in to to pursue your 
your faith with fear and trembling. Yeah. You know, the like even when Jesus was was going around ministering to people that he gave people a choice. All right, you have to turn away from this stuff that yeah, that you're holding on to now and you have to come follow me. And, and some people did it and and awesome. Yeah. Some people decided not to and they walked away and there was like the that that victory over sin and over over worldly things is is definitely there and we can take advantage of that but there's still this this decision that we have to make daily we have to carry our cross daily yeah and when we have like when we have art or or christian teaching or you know other things that ignore the fact that 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 part of it is there i think it's really damaging Mm -hmm. just as much as if you have art or Christian teachings that only focus on the fact that we're fallen. Yeah. And, and if there is not that need for redemption, yeah. I mean, a big thing about it, it's, um, and I, I talk with this, my students, you know, that don't be afraid to show the darkness because you need to show the darkness for the light to shine bright. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you want to get a scene in film, if you're doing lighting and you want to get a scene that looks really shadowy, you need some really strong light. Yeah. Because if you just get rid of the shot, if you just have no strong lights, everything looks washed out and it, it will look lit. Mm-hmm. It'll look bright, you know. So you need to show that dark so that the light shines bright. Yeah. We can't just hide in this happy world of Sunday school art, as, yeah. as Francis Schaeffer talks it. That's very pretty Sunday school art. Yeah. But, you know, that doesn't actually, you know, because if we are being redeemed... And if we have been redeemed, that should be our message. Mm-hmm. That should be what we're saying is talking about, I was once this, I'm now this, this is how I struggle through it. Yeah. You know, and that's, yeah. and it's, you know, I'm glad you brought up the whole point about like, hey, this isn't all happy and stuff like that. Because yeah, the Christian walk is hard. Mm-hmm. Anyone that says, once you become a Christian and all your troubles will go away. Yeah. But they're not they're they're lying to you and they're sell, they're trying to sell you something. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Jesus, never was trying to sell anything. Yeah. He was just trying to present who he was. Yeah. You know, and present the love of the Father. Mm-hmm. And that's what the message was. Yeah. You know, in contrast with the darkness of the world. Yeah. One of my favorite artists and I will say before I talk about this, I don't recommend uh, this music to everybody um, there and I have my my issues with uh, some of the music because it's it can be very explicit but Kendrick Lamar I love okay. hip-hop music I'm just gonna say it Kendrick Lamar is my my favorite hip-hop artist uh, and the reason is is because I well first of all I I believe that he in some way has some sort of faith in God and I would say that he's a Christian. I don't think that he always follows, yeah. you know, like all of us, you know, n- none have, uh, all have fallen short of the glory of God, you know? Yeah. But anyway, um, and I think he could do a better job of, of making his music more accessible to people, but uh, yeah, no, I definitely, he, he does this amazing job of 
his theme, the themes of his music really center around his upbringing and the culture that he was brought up in. He grew up in Compton, USA and in California, um, really dangerous, rough, sinful lifestyle. And the themes of his music really center around that. But what I love about, about all of his stuff, if you listen to his, his albums as a whole, it it goes from this is the, was the reality of my life, and it always comes up to the the redemption of mm. God. That's awesome. Which is like, and I mean, there's some some of his one of his albums. He, like it ends with the sinner's prayer being prayed out. Oh, cool! Like, and I don't think that he focuses too much on on one or the other. Like, I really think he has that that balance down of like my my life and my upbringing has been so dark and here are the things that I struggle with and the people that I know struggle with but then there's this there is hope and there's a redemption and yeah. who God is and like like I said sometimes the the way that he gets there I think is probably um could be better you know but the themes of it is I think very Christian even though it doesn't necessarily sound Christian on the outside. And that's the idea of it is that it's an accessible thing, Mm -hmm. you know, that brings them in. It's, it starts from, and I think there's a, there's a pendulum that as we go through as Christians is we'll go over here, you know, like, okay, I'm going to be, you know, a Christian artist, but I want to show all this stuff, but I don't want to, I don't want to mention Christ at all. And so we go entirely one way and there's nothing there. We're so afraid to say God, Mm -hmm. you know, to say that Jesus died for your sins so that you could be saved to say anything like that that we're hiding any of him and so then we go which is wrong so we go the complete opposite way which i think is actually a product of of kind of postmodern thinking yeah. and, and because we're afraid that and that i think this comes new wave of modern art where god is almost you, you can't i feel like art is almost defined now in popular culture as being outside of god Hmm. like in the in the yeah uh secular world well and also i think there's with that you get this idea with postmodernism of there is no truth or my truth is my truth so i don't really want to step on your truth yeah but we go then the other way and it's entirely this evangelical message Mm -hmm. but it's all just intellectual Mm-hmm. It's all just an essay, mm-hmm. which is great. It can be a very true, you know, well done essay, but there's no truth of life in it. Yeah, and that's one of the things that you know separate us from the rest of the animals. We have the breath of God in us. God breathed His life into us, mm-hmm. and so that there's if we're not breathing our life into the work that we create, it is stale and vapid and vacuous, and that's what people see. Mm-hmm. And which has been a problem because I think we as Christians, this, and I mean we as Christians as a generation, have done a very bad job of branding ourselves mm-hmm. and like as of who we are because people see these empty, vacuous, vapid essays that we, ha- that we do and say this is who we, what we believe but there's no truth and there's no life and there's no love of God in it. And of course, they're going to turn away from that because mm-hmm. that's not attractive. Yeah. You know, and once we, 
you know, that there's, we need to find that kind of middle ground where we are pouring who we are in there. Mm-hmm. And if, as C.S. Lewis has said, you know, if, if who, if God is, if I'm truly full of God, you know, to overflowing what I put out, of course you will see God in it. Yeah. I'm not trying to put him there. Yeah. Which, I mean, he totally did in Chronicles of Narnia, and it was intent, but that's a different thing. But you look at the space trilogy yeah. of his, Paralandra, uh, Out of the Silent pla- Planet, Paralandra, that hideous strength, it's like mind-blowing theologically, the theological essay presented in this, yeah. you know, fantastic, you know, uh, space travel thing. And it's it's amazing. Well, same with the Lord of the Rings. It's the same thing. There's... yeah. If you read that book, so many people have read that book, watched those movies. Those are absolutely stupid with Christian themes and and symbology and stuff. And the books really carry that very well. Yeah, and it's because it's it's the truth of he's in it. So he's he is putting what he knows. Mm -hmm. Because if you really like, we're talking about like writing and and films and that sort of stuff because that's more my side of it but for something to to bring to life there needs to be that life of humanity in it the reality of truth Mm -hmm. and if you don't have the reality of truth in it then it's not going to have any life and it's going to be dead and it's going to be boring and of course people aren't going to want to go to it Mm -hmm. because you know it's just a you know not even a very good sermon yeah yeah This is a good conversation. This is a good conversation. I'm trying to make it too long, so you're going to have to actually edit it and make me sound way better than I am. I'm fine with having it be an hour. People can listen to that. more than an hour. It's an hour and five. Oh, really? It's only just an hour? I thought we started at two. Well, we... No. Oh, okay. We we started at 2.30. We got here at 2.30, but then... Yeah, we were looking around for the dead possum. <laughs> yeah, so um, <laughs> if if we seem a bit distracted, it is because of the overwhelming aroma of dead possum. We're pretty sure it's in the roof, um, rotting away. Yeah, so it actually <laughs> really brings in a visceral thing to one of um, Rembrandt's works, which is like this carcass, this dead carcass of a of a cow. Yeah, hanging, hanging. Yeah, and shop. it's very beautiful, and it's a visceral painting. Um, I actually have the name of it here, so you it's, can Google it and it's see a, it. It's a slaughtered, slaughtered oxen. Is it? Well, there's a few different names for it. The The name he gives is the Englishized name. And... But hanging yes, meat. It's Rembrandt. Hanging... hanging yeah. Something. Apparently. Anyway, but... <laughs> and it's this... And one of the things he talks about, that there is, there is something much more interesting about looking at that. Oh, a cut of beef. No, Isn't I think you're right. It was hanging slaughtered ox, and I think is what it's called. This bugs me now that I'm gonna have to find it. Um, but <laughs> it's this, and you know, it's this Rembrandt painting of it, and it's literally just a very, like almost like a snapshot, mm-hmm. except very Rembrandt. So it's very, very dark and very, you know, he- thickly painted, and yeah. you know, a lot of earthy hues. And he, if you're given the choice of looking at a slaughtered ox in a butcher shop window versus this painting. You're going to choose the painting because there is a humanity behind it that, that he has, because Rembrandt is a master painter, has been able to take 
this ordinary scene and make an interesting thing. Yeah. And by doing so, he has added a worldview to it. And now he is saying something through this painting. And we as you know, people looking at this want to look at this painting and see what is he saying through this? Because you're feeling something through it that you don't feel by just looking at the, you know, slaughtered ox. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're a vegetarian or vegan. Yeah. You kind of feel like you're a vegan or a vegetarian when you're looking at the painting. Yeah, it is very... I mean, <laughs> if if you are on the verge, do not look at this painting because it's, it's not graphic or and bloody do, at all. I mean, do. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, look at art. Why not? You know, be, be challenging yourself. Um, so go look up Rembrandt's slaughtered ox. Yeah. Well, I think I think uh, you want to cut it off there. I mean, we can. Well, it's just, it's getting up to be almost yeah. seventy minutes now. You just don't want to edit. I don't want to edit. That's true. So you want to? Also, it's really hot in here. Yeah, I was thinking that too. And we have other things to discuss. Yeah, but well, thank you, Proby. Well, it's uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I'd love yeah. to. I mean, I know this is a lot that we've kind of broad range that we've yeah. covered, and we can maybe. And I just want to say, like, like, I think the point of this podcast is really to just have conversations and to think and stuff. And I think that that's one of the best ways that at least I process information and yeah. is talking to other people. And so I might not mean some of the stuff that I have said, and I don't think that that all necessarily is exactly what I believe and. Anyway, my point is, <laughs> my views don't. Ne- my, my, <laughs> what I've said, just, the host, the host views do not necessarily represent the host views. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing I'm, I'm like but been excited th- about the podcast with is you can talk about things. And this is the point of it too. Like, and this is what I was saying earlier. Like, go search it out. Yeah, you know, be wrong at times. Mm-hmm. Like, if we are so afraid to get it wrong, you know, we end up leading stagnant lives. You know, and like go out and search, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, like these are things that we should be wrestling with. Yeah. And how are we doing it? As in my daily life, maybe I'm not an artist, you know, maybe I am, you know, a professional assistant, you know, or I, you know, I work in an office or I work on a construction site. You know, how can I use what I am doing? for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. If I am just washing dishes, you know, in the kitchen, how can I do this for God? How can I, you know, do more and how can I be actually making my entire life an act of worship as I am called to do? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. as I am sitting through another meeting that could have been an email or a Zoom call that, you know, has gone on way too long because you're trying to get somebody's sound. Yeah. You know, or someone's picture, you know, like as you're in these places, how can I be doing what I am doing better because I'm doing it for God? Mm. And that's the questions that we need to be searching for. Yeah. You know, how do we how do we express ourselves more through art? How do we how do we appreciate art? How do we, you know, as a Christian, what is, you know, art? What is art's place in our life? Yeah. You know, and I think that that's something that we really need to be. Um, you know, looking at, which I think Francis Schaeffer really hits really well with his opening paragraph of um, Art in the Bible. Yeah. You know, so I definitely recommend go out there and uh, 
read this book, you know, get this, check out other works by him as well. I think Mm -hmm. he's how then should we live a lot of, you know, he has got a lot of stuff out there and it's really another one mentioned here at the very end of this. I remember anyway, but yeah, so go out and, you know, yeah. Art in the Bible, Francis A. Schaefer. Um, and I think along with that, and this, I think this is how I want to end it, for you guys listening, if I want to kind of put out a challenge, actually, you can accept it if you want. You don't have to do it. <laughs> but um, if you are someone, if you're listening to this now and you are someone who is creative or someone who, like, I, this is something I struggle with, actually, is I feel like I want to create, but I don't really know how to do it or you know how to utilize my desire to be creative i guess i challenge you spend some time like actually thinking and and seeking after god for that and asking him how can i utilize my abilities and my artistic passions to actually bring you honor and and glory Mm. whether that's through you know learning to lead worship and doing that or or painting you know, pictures of crosses or whatever, or something totally different, you know? Um, but yeah, I really encourage you guys to spend that time in prayer and in thought with him. Um, and that might be, you know, 15 minutes. That might be a couple of days, if, a couple months, whatever. Um, he has the answers and he'll, he'll guide you in that. So yeah. Anyway, thank you again, Proby. Thanks for having me. This has been episode six of the Apostella podcast. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Bye.